Well, um, let's let me just say a little word of prayer and then we'll go to Acts. Wonderful. Oh, Lord, we come to you in this crazy season that just doesn't seem to stop. We pray for you to continuously help us to navigate and continue to be inspired by your word and be connected to one another. And Lord, we just pray hedges of protection around so many people, everyone we wish. And we just offer you our thanks and our love in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so what I thought we'd do, the, I have some, hmm, some commentary and stuff about the passage and about Peter, because we're going to be getting in. This is Peter's term to turn to talk. Okay. But I thought that it would be in some ways um, we would look back at those things through the lens of having at least read some of it. Yeah. So my thought is um, if you would read the first 11 verses and then I'll read from 12 to 22. Great. And which chapter are we in? Four. Four. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. And I, um, I grabbed my Christian Standard Bible Study Bible, so it'll be different than my NIV. Oh, okay. Yeah. And what do you, what version do you have? I have um, NRSV Revised Standard. Oh yeah. I picked this one because I liked the cover. It's beautiful. I would pick it for the cover too. <laughs> <laughs> it really is a nice study Bible, but I kind of. It's like shoes, shoes and Bibles. I like. <laughs> okay. And this one is headed the opposition to Christianity in Jerusalem, the arrest of Peter and John. While they were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. 
When they saw the man who had been cured standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So they ordered them to leave the council while they discussed the matter with one another. And they said, what will we do with them? For it's obvious to all who live in Jerusalem that a notable sign has been done through them. We cannot deny it. But to keep it from spreading further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them again, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all of them praised God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing has been, had been performed was more than 40 years old. I love that. Like 40 is ancient. <laughs> and back then, quite old. Yeah, yes. I guess it probably was. Yeah. They'd, uh, but then they easily talk about people being 900 and right. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I thought that, um, um, let's see. We're just going to go. We'll just, we'll just keep going. Why don't you read from... 23 2 through 31, and then I'll read the rest. Okay, great. And this is titled, A Prayer for Boldness. After they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in God to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You said that through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. The next section of mine is called, The Believers Share Their Possessions. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as, they, as any had a need. There were, was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him 
and then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Wow. Yeah. Pretty good response, huh? Uh-huh. I think about the, you know, in the 32, the now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one claimed private ownership of anything. Yeah. Everything held in common. How does yours sound? Yeah, very similar. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. Not yeah. a needy person among them. I know. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, they, uh, so part of when, when I was looking things up about this, I thought it was interest. I, I thought it was interesting to learn some things about Peter. Um, because Peter, we, we think of, um, Peter as the person who denied Jesus and right. that tends to be at least a part of where he gets his reputation, um, part of his reputation. He ended up being, um, many people called him the head of the, the, the apostles. Um, he was a bishop. Um, there was that they talked about him being, you know, such a speaker and which is pretty significant considering how we hear about him earlier in the story and he he was one of the first disciples to be called he was um he and his brother um and they in in reading and i you know i've i've looked some at what how you would describe some of the fishermen that were called to be disciples and they um the, the description that I read this week was about that fishermen were burly, uncouth, um. scraggly, not clean, you know, people, they were the guys hanging out down by the water and um, not always appropriate. Yeah. And <laughs> so, and I, I found that that was that what I wondered why that mattered because people in general were different but part of it stems from a description of peter before he meets jesus as as and even when he meets jesus is considering himself to be a great sinner that um, that he was he was unworthy um of being called as a disciple he would say that about himself and yet as one of the first ones called he just went yeah um he also was the first one to know he might not have been the first one to know that jesus was the savior but he was the first one to identify it right um, and yeah. so it's it's quite interesting and they the some of the stuff talked about that when he said that to this slave girl or whatever she was when he denied jesus that he that it was very likely sort of a mumbly conversation and you know she identifies him and he was just kind of like blah, 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 you know just yeah. just kind of caught um and which i thought was interesting as we think about our own culture and mm -hmm. people how people respond when someone either confronts them or asks them about their faith. Um, 
I think that um, a lot of people might feel pretty mumble mouth, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's when you were, when you were growing up or in the, the, the Sunday school Bible study classes, do you think that you were around or um, have worked with the kids that you've worked with it about telling their faith story? You know, um, we have a little bit. Um, and the, th the thing that I always have thought about um, ever since I heard it happen, and I think it was 1999 in Columbine in mm -hmm. Colorado, where the young woman um, you know, had a gun pointed at her and asked if she was a follower of Jesus. I'm not sure if that's exact words that they used, but that she said yes, and they killed her. And ever since I have heard that recounting of that horrible day, I've wondered, you know, what would I have said at that age? And even now, if somebody had a gun at me, right. I would pray that my faith would be strong enough. But I'm... I I don't know. <laughs> how can how can we know? And I think that um, that there's a description of the place where Peter was when he was confronted that was very much the same because he had seen what happened to Jesus that he'd been carried off and beaten and arrested and all of that, and for all he knew, he was next. And um. And so I'm sure that fear and confusion, um, I think about the, the speaking to Peter speaking in this passage. And I think that one of the things I've observed over the years, and I went to an event once where um, the, the presenter talked about a culture of, or generations of people that have not learned how to tell about their faith mm -hmm. um, and that we we as leaders in the Christian community don't often help people get to the place where they can share their faith, um, whether that's times when they get a few minutes of testimony mm -hmm. in church. A lot of people are like, no, no. And it's not because they don't have something to share. It's because they think they don't have anything to share. Right. Um, and so right. part of what this, this presenter was talking about is that from the time our, our kids are very small, how helpful it is to help them to articulate, not not like um, a rote kind of statement of what they believe, like say this, but more to help them to gain some confidence in what they already believe. Right. Um, and to find ways to uh, let them express that. Yeah. And, um, and I think that, you know, it's true that a lot of churches there's there's not necessarily a lot of opportunities in some churches for people to speak. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, there are lots of opportunities. And um, I, I love to preach as much as the next person, but or the next pastor, because not everybody loves to preach. 
but um, but I also love creating environments where people get to tell their own story right. and creating environments where the youth get to tell their own story. And, mm -hmm. um, and the same with children, obviously different at different age levels yeah. um, because they, they, you know, when I've asked people to do something and they're sort of confused about being quite clear because they're a little nervous. What it, What are you asking me to do? And um, and sometimes it's the most inspirational thing we hear all year. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I have a confession that I'm not great at it of telling, and I I think about it a lot and how to to tell the story to quote a hymn for you know for different people. Um, but I don't always have a great answer. I, I think I have an easier answer when they're younger. Mm -hmm. You know, I've always found it easier to tell kids, I think because I'm just insecure myself with peers, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but several, you know, the place that I work, part of the reason I feel that I am called to work there in advertising, which really is kind of neither here nor there. It's a great job, but I feel like, well, it, you know, it might not be my calling, but I do feel like there are people there that I'm supposed to witness to, mm -hmm. you know, um, there's even, even the owner of the company I pray for all the time because he, and he doesn't have really any faith, um, community in his life and, um, has always, he's always done very well financially and he's very well liked and he's really a good guy, but he, you know, I don't know if it'll take him having some tragedy or I, I don't want to wish that on him at all, but there are, he knows how strong my faith is. And every once in a while I'll get a chance to get a word in, but I don't feel like I ever adequately describe it. You know, I'll start to, and sometimes I'll even just say to him, you know, Oh, it's how I used to tell my kids when they were little that, you know, Jesus took all the timeouts for us. You know, they don't, he just took their timeouts and they couldn't do anything bad enough that Jesus couldn't fix, you know, and I try to say those things, but I don't, I feel like I don't have a great answer for him and he doesn't give me many opportunities. But, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> but, you know, every once in a while he'll say, yeah, I know you need to tell me more about that. And I feel like, oh, I'm so inadequate because I, I don't have, I feel like he's a tough audience and he and I both are professional communicators and we should, you know, I should know my audience. And I'm like, how do, how do I best hook him? Because on the surface, he has, you know, worldly success He's an attractive guy. He's got, you know, a beautiful home. He's succeeded in business. He's well liked by people all over. He's well known in Buffalo. I'm like, what is, what's going to make him feel like he needs this? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, and, and it's, and it's, it's so hard to say that for um, what that might be for anyone. But I think that Bill Edmister and I were talking this afternoon about the well we met to talk about the blue christmas service but we were talking mm -hmm. about seed planting yeah and um that that's what you're doing 
your seed planting, you know, because you're only getting these little places, but you're not just a transitory person in his life. Right. So, you know, that statement, you know, I'll have to know more about that or, you know, sometime you'll have to tell me more. The 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 door just kind of gets a yeah. little bit. And I think that so often people feel like they have to have a sort of prescribed thing to say when I think what most people want is what difference does it make in your life? You right. know, why? Um, what? And some days we have better answers than others. Um, and, you know, there's a whole lot of people who grew up believing their whole life. And for them, that is sometimes difficult. They can say that, well, I've had faith my whole life, but they're, they get kind of embarrassed about the fact that maybe they don't have a moment. Right. Maybe they don't have a, a specific time. Um, yeah. And I, I feel like everybody's life, there's lots of times. It's a matter of identifying them. You yeah. don't have to be a bad person, non-believer, and then become a Christian. Um, that's not everybody's story. Um, mm -hmm. And you can believe for as long as you ever could remember and then find times when it's more intense or more needed in a particular time. Um, and I think most people, most people don't want us to tell them what they should, what they should believe. They want us to tell them what we believe. It's a great point. Yeah, um, it really and, so it's it's um but i think about this this healing and this testimony um and it just reminds me that part of what got me there was this here he was this kind of mumble mouth trying to figure out what he believes in front of a person who's challenging him and then now he's in front of some very serious people i mean we're not talking about the, the corner group of clergy who think they know everything. We're talking about the big guns um, yeah. that are confronting them um, about what they've done. And mm -hmm. the fact that not only when in four, um, he threw, oh, let's, oh, it helps if I was in four and not three. I'm looking at three like, this isn't it, this isn't it. <laughs> But that um, when, when we look at the fact that they arrested them, but even before that, while Peter and John were speaking to the people and the people are annoyed, they um, proclaiming that in Jesus there was resurrection in the dead, which was probably, the healing was one thing, but teaching the resurrection story was another thing because the the Jewish culture dead is dead. That's the end. The end of the story is death. So don't be telling people that there's something after death when there isn't. Death is death. That's the end. And that's uh, what they still believe, Jews. Right. That's so hard to believe that we're so closely aligned with the Jewish faith, but yeah, that they, that it's just, and, 
And so even all this, the good works that they do throughout their lives, or, and they probably wouldn't even use those words, but in the rituals that they follow, et cetera, they, why do they do that? If they, they think there's nothing. Um, well, they do have a belief system that talks about their faith tells them it's a version of do all the good you can while you can, because that's what God teaches, because the God of the Old Testament teaches that we should, you know, some of the same things that when we look at Micah and, you know, talk about how we should live our lives. The Old Testament is full of those kinds of instructions. Um, and I think that that a big part of the faith culture is um, be a godly person and be a godly person in the space in which you live and that uh, and be grateful. I think it's I'm simplifying it, but I think it's interesting because in one way, there's a part of it that you're doing these things with no thought of reward. Right. So there's something to be said for that. Um, and yet it also doesn't have the comfort. Right. That that we find in in eternal life. Um, yeah. And so it's. I, I, I think that I would have to really sit in some Jewish space to understand not, you know, I can read the Old Testament and I can read things about the Jewish faith, but I think that trying to understand how that all works requires mm -hmm. sitting down with, with Christians who are comfortable with Jewish people not being Christians we right. might wish or hope, but that's who they are. And um, and Jewish people being comfortable explaining a way of life, because it's not just about what they believe. It's a way of life. Yeah. Um, and it um, seems like so many of the Jewish people that I know that it's a lot more just a cultural <laughs> tradition, you know, and it's because right. their family is Jewish and mm -hmm. almost like we talk about being American, you right. know, that you celebrate 4th of July and all those things. And I think some of that comes from the, from the very beginning, the identity of the people of Israel is very connected to where they came from and the sense of identifying as people of Israel, the Jewish people. Um, and the culture, the rules of living have been obeyed across the spectrum, just like Christians. And mm -hmm. we can find temples where people are not strict and ones that are in the middle. And obviously the Hasidic Jews yeah. are the probably the most conservative. But there are a lot of people who are they are Jewish but they are maybe historically religious, but no longer. Yeah. Um, and, and yet they likely would never deny right. their heritage. It's like Katie's roommate that I've told you multiple times is Jewish. Um, but Katie, you know, she's a young woman. Katie said she doesn't really practice much, but her father is from Israel. 
<laughs> and I believe has the dual citizenship, um, you know, played on their national volleyball team, served in their military like they all are required right. to do, and goes back, I think he just got back from like a month in Israel um, with his family. I think the whole rest of his family is there. But I also don't get the sense that even he is not right. really very Jewish. I sent them a Hanukkah card and Katie said, oh, you didn't need to do that. I don't think they even do much, you know? And I said, well, I wanted to recognize that they, That's right. That's you know. Right. And, you know, there's a great deal of secular population in Israel. Um, yeah. Just like here, you'd expect it to be different, but you'd also expect um, a lot more Christianity in Israel than there is. Um, you know, there's there's the the Jewish people, there's the Christian people, there's Muslim people, right? Um, and there, and even you know, and among Christian people, there's all the denominations and different kinds of Christians and it's it's fascinating yeah um and but so much of it like when people talk about going to israel to stay in what do you call it um like people go for a month to stay in oh. a in, in a household family unit where everybody does the work i'm just not remembering the name oh of it. like a commune not a commune but it's, uh, but it's similar yeah um, just the, the name of it's just escaping me right now that it's their history, their history, their history is so important and where they came from. Uh -huh. um, not necessarily their practice of their religion. Right. Um, well, it's, I, I've often, I know we're on a side tangent, but I've often like had a very complicated view of the Jewish faith because I feel like they were the ones, they're closest to when Jesus came, but they're also the ones that rejected him the most. So it feels like it's more of a rejection than people who maybe never even heard about anything leading up to Jesus coming. Right. But I know that, then this is where I get more confused that, you know, especially some of the evangelical um, denominations, more evangelical denominations in the U.S., you know, are believe that we need to be so close to Israel because of prophecy and what's going to happen in the end times. And part of me is like, but they're the ones who are kind of rejecting him the most. You know, they're they know he came, but they don't believe he's the Messiah. So, but we still, you know, what I don't know. The complicated part, I think, is what happens when Jesus comes back. And right, and yeah, it's and we don't know possibly it, when Jesus comes back that may be the time when they recognize him as the savior because they still yeah. don't believe there has been one. Yeah. And I think that, um, I think one of the other important things, and I think it depends on on the, the community, is that the people, the Jewish people have a very high respect for Jesus. They hold him in very high esteem and his teachings um, um, in very high esteem. They just simply don't believe he's the savior, which, yeah. Is it be, I was telling the kids last week, and I hope I was right, that in especially in real time when Jesus was born they and when he lived, they really thought he was going to be a political king. Right. And literally saved them. Right. And, Military, politics, yeah. you know, it was going to be a conquering, 
kind of power, even if that was from a position of a judge or yeah. something like that. Yeah, that's what they thought. They this was not what they had in mind. Yeah, yeah, because we were we were talking about King Herod and how he obviously felt threatened, you know. So, but I think it's interesting to think about the the power that even that Herod that some of them saw in Jesus that made them like there's something here, which yeah. we see witnessed in this conversation because yeah. we get to the place where um, they, they talk about, when they talk about Jesus and they talk about what he did, you know, you can see that the, the priests and the, they were, they're like, wait a minute, what do we do? Because we can't deny what happened. Can't deny that this man is healed. Mm -hmm. And we can't deny that these thousands of people have come to faith. Yeah. And maybe they felt that way in terms of who is going to stir up that much of an angry crowd. Mm -hmm. um, so there might be some fear of causing conflict in that. But they're definitely... Um, it's, let's see. They go from in, in verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they realized, first of all, uneducated and ordinary men. And then next, amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. Yeah. Um, and... So then when they get into the discussion, what will we do? For it's obvious to all who live in Jerusalem that a sign has been done through them, and we can't deny it. Yeah. But so that this does not spread any further. That's Let's right. Threaten them. That's yeah. right. And, you know, when we read about the 5,000, you know, it's important to note that I think that um, 5,000 Yours says men. Mine says 5,000. Yours says 5,000 men. Yeah. So if it is 5,000 men, then you have to actually add all their families. Right. Because like, they would have been there also. Like the feeding of the 5,000. Right. Yeah. Right. And we often, um, they, they, we, we often don't realize that even with the, there's all kinds of questions about when the disciples were called, what happened to their families. In right. some of the conversations I was, the readings that I was looking at about Peter, he was married. Oh. And when they talked about what he left behind, they talked about boat, nets, job, home. But they didn't, they didn't talk about how they might know that. I don't know. Um, I like to think that they took their family with them. Yeah, I know. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it would be that kind of lifestyle would have been uh, a little bit more common than people didn't own as much. They didn't own pro a lot of property. Yeah. They might not have even owned their homes and their belongings were simple. Yeah. Um, yeah. And probably, but I just, I think that we were never told really in the scriptures how it was. Right. We don't, we don't hear about their left behind family. 
we see when it comes whenever they're in Jerusalem, even if they even if they had left their family, they would have been coming and going um, right. from from there. Um, and when they were called, um, I, I can't remember. Had Jesus, did Jesus do any signs or miracles, or did he just say, "Come and follow me"? Um, let me see if I have the the reference. That was, I mean, that was bold, regardless. But they, you know, they they took a chance. So before, now I just turned back quickly to Luke five. Okay, which is the um, Jesus calls the first disciples. Yeah. So if you look in the in the part before that, the biggest thing that happens. Um, is the man with the unclean spirit and then um, the Simon's mother-in-law was suffering with a high fever and he healed her yeah um, and and then all well yeah and then the sun was setting and all those this is in four all this those who had any who were sick with various kinds of diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on each of them and cured them yeah so then he preaches in the synagogues. Uh-huh. Um, what we don't know is when he calls the first disciples, he was standing beside the lake of Genesaret, and the crowd was um was pressing. Um oh yeah. Oh so, and then they he did have them put their nets down. Right and they hadn't been able to find anything. So I guess that was a miracle and they were amazed. Um, they were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. Okay. And, and then in um, around in verse eight, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down to Jesus knees saying, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Yeah. Wow. So that's, and he said, you'll be fishers of men, or we always say that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And they brought the, left, they brought the boats to land, left everything and followed him. Yeah. So hmm. they had, there certainly was a lot of miracle stuff going on. Yeah. And whether the disciples were actually witnesses, they could have been, they might not have been, but it's not a big place. They certainly would have known what had happened yeah um and yeah they um the you know and back to what we talked about with john before peter um when they are asked by um annas and caiaphas and john and alexander and all the priest high priestly family um, when they made them stand in their midst, they inquired by what power or what name did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said that they were doing it in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And then clearly, who you treated badly. Yeah. Um, and that that is really yeah. very, very significant to um, proclaim in that particular, it does say 
that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So, you know, that we can, we can sort of extrapolate that to be that that's where his power and his strength and his courage and his, he, Peter gives a new understanding to what they call holy boldness. Yeah. Um, and he, um, and John too, but John didn't have the story, the backstory that Peter had. Right. Um, and to be able to, one of the things that Peter was known for is that in, even though he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was preaching, he was respectful. That what he was known for in his ministry career was that he was not afraid to speak um, the truth to people who didn't agree with him, but he didn't do it as a bully. Oh. He didn't, even though he's talking about, he talks about the stone that was rejected by you, the builders yeah. and salvation, things like that, and whom you crucified. But what's written about this, this speech or sermon really um, is that it was done with energy and a passion, but it was not condemning. Hmm. It was not, um, you know, when you look at protesters, the yeah. different kinds of protesters, there's the ones who simply say, this is what we believe. Right. This is what we believe and this is what we're asking for. And then there are those that are on the attack um, and where a lot of trouble often happens. Yeah. Whether the Holy Spirit wisdom was a part of not go softly, but go respectfully and you'll do a lot better. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's just interesting to think about. It's interesting to hear and and some of these insights came from the the history that Peter has after ongoing, not um, just not just here in yeah. terms of how he got along um, with people who didn't necessarily agree with him. It's good that, that to know that um, it's funny, Pastor Tom. I think would always call him Rocky. You know, playing off the. But you know, he used the Sylvester Stallone voice. So I think I always pictured Peter as kind of this, you know, bull in a china shop. But it's interesting to hear that the scholars think, you know, that he was tactful, it sounds like, right. but bold. But right. And so, you know, maybe, maybe Sylvester Stallone without the hitting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I, I imagine him being a presence, you know, a significant yeah. presence, no doubt. Um, and a little un and uneducated and probably a little, uh, uh, you know. <laughs> Forgive me, sorry. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, and so the, um, so I'll, I'll share what part of this says. The temple authorities put Jesus in the lowest place they could, an outcast's death outside the city walls, the ultimate in exclusion from the community, the ultimate in silence. But God has raised Jesus to the place of highest honor and authority at the very center of God's new community. Armed with the words of Psalm 118, Peter puts the temple authorities on notice 
that in raising Jesus from the dead, God has made him the cornerstone of a new temple with the only power under heaven to heal. On what authority? On the authority of the resurrection and God's gift of speech to the church. Peter and John say, we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. Mm -hmm. And that then at the end of the story, it's the authorities turn to be speechless. The accusers of Jesus and his people are now silent. Um, the reversal is really sounds very sudden. It's not like they went into retreat and like, you know, they were discussing and going to come up with a vote. Um, and one of these commenters says, you might think that this story seems a little too fantastic, a little too miraculous. Yeah. Um, but then if God raises Jesus from the dead, yeah. then, then why not this? And sometimes this passage is in the, in the, if people preach the lectionary, a lot of times this passage shows up in the Easter season, which makes sense. Ah, yeah. Um, and not too many pastors preach on Acts on Easter um, because right. people want to hear the resurrection story. But part of what we're reading through Acts is that it's resurrection and resurrection and resurrection. Yeah. Um, and so <clears throat> he, um, Paul, when he's when he's doing this. Um, and talking about Jesus, um, it's throughout Acts, he speaks to not just little groups of people from Israel. He speaks, you know, in big, to, it gets kind of bigger and bigger um, to continue to uh, speak to as much of all the people as, as, of Israel as possible. Um, we see in this, it's the leaders, you know, the, the known leaders. And then um, he goes on um, to talk about, and since we, we understand that Luke is the author more than any other evangelist, Luke emphasizes the resurrection as Jesus' vindication. Like, yeah, um, this is it, you know. And like I said, if you believe in the Jewish faith that dead is dead and there is nothing beyond dead, wow. then this is the most amazing thing that they've ever heard. Right. Um, and his reject, Jesus rejection by those in authority, as we know, fulfills scripture um, that comes from Psalm 118. Um, and do the Jews, do they have the Psalms? They have the first five books of the Old Testament. Do they read the Psalms as well? Um, hold that thought. Let me see. Now, my um, this particular study Bible. Um, This this particular Bible has the the Old Testament and then has all the apocryphal um, oh. books, but I think that 
the I'm trying to remember what we we studied the Old Testament as a whole. And our Old Testament professor called it the Hebrew scriptures. Uh-huh. All of it. Um and I have a copy of the Torah. It's probably in my office, probably not here. Um, uh-huh. But I, if we hear, if we hear, we well, no, I'm, I'm acting like I don't know what I'm talking about. But think about in both Hebrews and in Acts, how many times they reference the Psalms. Right. Over and over and over again. So, um my 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 sense is that the psalms are very much a part of the jewish literature mm-hmm. um yeah so yeah yeah again it just you know as i look at psalm 118 you know the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone yeah it just seems it seems incredulous to me that they didn't recognize Jesus. Right. Now. And well, and even, you know, as we go through Advent and we keep referring back to Isaiah. Right. Um, and there's this, there's sometimes these parts that are like, what part of this don't you get? Right. <laughs> but we have um, the benefit of, you know, having sung the Messiah forever. Yeah, no. <laughs> you know, how could you not get it? Yeah. That's just, it's, um and i think that was um the more i've learned about scripture even when i went to seminary with this old testament professor who was not jewish he was very much a christian but he could he only memorized one gospel the gospel of mark but what he did then after he after he memorized mark was which is a pretty big undertaking was then everything he did in the Old Testament teaching had the gospel behind it. So he could, it's kind of, I can't do this backwards, but it's kind of like the, if the hand behind is Mark and the hand in front is the Old Testament. Uh So if he's teaching the Old Testament, the gospel can come through because Uh he can pull in all the quotes and match them in time and place um, in terms of telling about the the prophesying about what was going to happen. Right. Um, and just it's a it's a fascinating ability on yeah. his part. Yeah. Because we're always I mean, here's me doing sermon preparation and I'm like, I'm in Luke. And I'm in Isaiah. I'm in Luke, and I'm in Isaiah, and I'm flipping, 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 and to be able to just have it in your head. It would be. They, they must have. Do they have Bibles that have them ordered like that, or have you know? Wouldn't that be fascinating to like have? It would be. To- yeah, because I think that the only thing I've ever seen, which of course isn't the Old Testament at all, it's the Gospel parallels. And, you know, you can, you can, I'm sure that there are study Bibles. I can't imagine how it would be done because the Old Testament is so big to be able to also provide all, you know, it's, we see in the New Testament, we see the references back to the Old Testament. um, And they, um, oh, look, I turned right back to the 
passage that I'm one of the passages that I'm preaching on. Um, and so in looking at the commentary for I'm just looking at six Isaiah 61 uh -huh. and the comments reference um, this is the text from Isaiah that Jesus read out in the synagogue in order to explain who he was. Oh, yeah. Um, and but it's but that's so I think sometimes that's as close as we get right. <laughs> is the, the drawing the line back and forth. And some of the times like I, I will frequently use uh, Bible Gateway when I'm looking at oh, a yeah. passage because I want to see what it looks like in this version and this version. And I also sometimes want to copy and paste a part of it out and drop yeah. it into a sermon, things like that. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's but when you're hands on book, right, then it's a lot of flipping. It is. I know I find I love doing that copying and pasting from Bible Gateway, but I know I never get it as like if I'm putting something together to talk about on Facebook or something. I feel like I get it so much more if I get the actual book out. You know, I can read it on the screen and highlight it and copy and paste, but until I really like read it from the book. Well, and I think there are a lot of people who will say that that that's always where you have to start because if you start on the screen, you're it's kind of like um, the Reader's Digest version of right. what's going on little snapshot I mean you're getting the actual scripture it's not like you're getting an abbreviated version right but how what's always been so important for me is how do you put it in context what's going on ahead of it what's going on after right. it um, and sometimes when we're faithful to that task we find out you don't don't even go there yeah because you know, you're offering this as even sometimes with uh, Jeremiah 29:11, yeah. if you read the whole thing, it's not as pretty as it seems. No, no. and and so you know what we do? We don't. We right. we use other scripture to support it, but we keep Jeremiah 29:11 right there, just the way it is. Um, <laughs> That's right. That comes with that because we're we're shining up a piece but not telling the whole story. But I think that the point is we want people to believe that God has a plan and the plan right. is good. Right. After all, the plan was Jesus. So, yeah. And it's um, so interesting. Um, I mean, I've just, I've become to, I've come to appreciate the old Testament so much because I think growing up where I, you know, and I went to small churches, so we didn't always have the most, you know, educated or, they were all educated pastors, but we didn't have necessarily the ones who were trying to teach us in detail. Mm -hmm, I, I started to realize that, you know, that there were Methodist churches that were doing a lot more Bible study maybe than in my tiny little, you know, crossroads church. Um, but it was so much focused on the New Testament. And it makes me think about um, why people pass out New Testaments a lot, too. You know, you see the tiny little right. ones. Right. At the, at, when I was in Colorado, I mean, you open the, the, the case where the Bibles are, they're trying to find a whole Bible for somebody was like, a, it's like, was like a hunt really? because 
first of all, they're more expensive. They're also hard to put in those little books, right. in the little Bibles. But the main reason that people do it often is the Psalms and New Testament. Oh, yeah, yeah. And why? Because they're easier to read and filled with more good news. And comfort, yeah, for a hospital. Yeah, yeah. that's true. But it just, yeah, it gives, I feel like it gives the wrong impression, you know, that the Old Testament is not important. I, I think, and I do think that does happen. And I think that I know from my own perspective, when I first was interested in reading the Bible, one of the challenges is if you start at the beginning yeah. and you, it's, what what you want is a phase one and a phase two. You want to give people the New Testament and then give them a little bit of time and then give them the Old Testament. Or I think even more importantly, um, get them engaged in some place where they can learn about the Old Testament because it's daunting and it's full of terrible, terrible things. Yeah. Um, and that yeah. I think that was part of mine, like, really? I don't think so because <laughs> what you're saying here in church and what I'm reading, it doesn't match up. Right. Um, so there's some, and I, I have a lot of respect for some of the documents that have been produced about like what you should read the order, like yeah. what a new believer kind of what, how to guide them. I never seem to have one available to me because the, I've given them all away, but there's a sense of part of it depends on who that person is. Yeah. What their interest is. Are they interested in, are they a person who can embrace the whole biblical story? Um, or are they someone who's first maybe looking for some healing and connection with God and then grows into a, an ability to understand the whole story? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um yeah so it's um i think that it's 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 really i think that this sometimes i think well we can when we even when we look at just this one chapter in acts and i'm going the wrong way in my bible um they and we think about how many things are in here, not only from the courage that it took for Peter and John to do what they were doing, but what is it, what is it telling us about um, sometimes speaking our truth um, in terms of faith? Um, I don't know whether some of it's, well, if they could do it, I can do it. It's different. You know, mm -hmm. I think that both you and I, we can do it. Um, and we both do it in different ways. Um, but we're not forced into a place right. where it's going to put us in jail. Right. Right. And, um, we're, we're, we're not not only is it not going to put us in jail, but we're, we're quite privileged people. Um, and so yeah. we, um, can buy a Bible that we like, right. Um, 
and I have, I thought at one point I was like, okay, I think I'm done with Bibles. Nope, <laughs> nope, nope. I had to buy another one. Um, <laughs> and I think that, but I do think that there's going back to where we started, which is how, and I'm not, I'm not putting you on the spot, but how do you, with the youth or I in, in a variety of contexts, how do I create an environment where uh, people feel the, the, both the permission and the safety to tell their story, to tell their faith story? Uh, you know, I think about when I read some of what the confirmands wrote for confirmation, they were very honest. I think that was one of the things that I really loved, which, you know, I didn't want to go and right. made me go, but, 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 and then the other, the other kids who I'd never even met, but were talking about being, you know, that this came at a time in their life. Um, but they, you know, and I don't know what they have done historically about how does that get shared in the context of confirmation or, does it only get read at the confirmation service or does it get read at all? I think this year was the first time that I saw those kind of testimonies. Um, and I've even been um, a sponsor for multiple um, confirmands. And one time I remember working with a young woman um, who had some like learning disabilities and I remember helping her express herself so she could write that kind of testimony. But I think it was much less public. Um, and this year, did they put it in the newsletter? Or how did I, I feel like I read it? I think they might've put it in the yeah. newsletter. Um, they definitely put it somewhere, but I, you know, when I read them, um, you know, ideally I would have liked the kids cause we read, we, we read parts of them at the confirmation service oh, yeah. and um, part of the that you know the sense well what I would have really liked was if they could have read this they could have said this themselves, themselves yeah um, but at the same time at that particular age in that particular environment that's a big ask and yeah I think that I think that the kids and the families were like, I think it made it feel deeper um, in the moment because those things were written no matter whether they were confirmed this year or other years. Right. Um, but I think that the fact that we we all got to be inspired by some of their stories. Yeah, I think that was great. Yeah. And, you know, we were during November we were we had talked about the possibility of trying to get people to do you know just a less than five minute video about um there was a specific question about gratitude uh-huh um and it was connected to the church it was their faith but it was also what we were what we were trying to to, I mean, you were there, we were talking about the cloud of witnesses and how important yeah. that is. And that, that sort of 
not only um, what is that, what are you grateful for, but what are you grateful for in terms of this family of faith being a part of your cloud of witnesses? Yeah. And I wasn't a part of contacting people or anything like that, um, but I know that nobody wanted to do it. Really? And so my, um, and it's that's not the first time I've encountered that. People largely are feel a little embarrassed about, yeah. about doing things like that. Sometimes it's easier to get them when they don't have to do a video. Sometimes it's easier to do a video, but finding, thinking about the future and figuring out how do we find opportunities for people to do that? Because sometimes when I've asked another person, and usually it's like a part of a series and there's a specific thing I'm asking them to do. Yeah. Um, when they've seen, when they see somebody else do it, then they have a sense of what they might say. Right. Like, well, maybe I do have something to say. Yeah. And, you know, we can't hear all the things that everybody wants to say, but how can we continue to move in our faith community in a way that helps people to realize how much inspiration is right there? Yeah. Nobody asked me, I would have done it, but they're probably tired of hearing me talk. <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't a part of it, so I don't know how. I think Adrian got put on it, and I think it also came about around the same time that um, DJ's brother died, so then Sherry was gone. So right. it could be a whole bunch of things that it just didn't happen. Right. But you know what? We're, we got time. <laughs> we have time. We're that's, not done yet. That's right. So, meant to be uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's, I've, and it's also a lot easier when you have more people on the ground, you know, more people who can actually be present and more people that um, at least Scott and I can get to know. Um, yeah. And because there's a whole layer of people that a, a mom of some young kids came on Sunday for the first time and I wasn't actually introduced to her, but she had some questions about um, Christmas Eve and she had brought her children to junior church and this was the first time they'd come since the church had opened. Yeah. And um, there's a whole layer of people like that out there that. Right. I know that's I, Dan and I talk about it every week that, you know, I guess I'm just hoping that people are not falling off. But, you know, there's a lot of people that I would have thought might have even come back sooner, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I then I ask for forgiveness because I'm almost judging them of, well, why aren't they there? Do they have somebody that's, you know, compromised in their family or um who are they protecting or, right. yeah, you know, or, or, you know, the people that, that may feel um, that it was hard enough to lose two pastors and then you add the church being closed and then you bring in new pastors and the church still isn't open. Right. There are people for whom those layers um, have really challenged their commitment. I know. Um, and yeah, and there's just a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of people that just don't feel safe yet. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
and I, I love going into a, someone's home and them saying that I've never met and having them say, well, we feel like we know you and right. how's that Charlie? <laughs> exactly. It's you're like a celebrity. They always say that, you know, you watch people on TV every week and you feel like you know them. <laughs> and, and the the but the the joy for me is now I get to meet and hear about you and right. to be in in your home and you know, we're we we're having to kind of really now be careful about that because yeah. um people are awfully glad to have it happen but we we who are coming in are people that are out and around right and you know being very careful and we we take all the precautions when we go but we have right. to pick and choose where we can go have you um have you met olive burbage and her sister dorothy stewart no, you know, that's they've they've come up before and they're like the they're they're two matriarchs of the church, especially Ali, um Olive. Um she Dorothy I think um came and was in Buffalo a lot of her life and then came to live with her sister later in life, but I think they are they're either in their 90s or approaching their 90s, and they live together. Um, Olive's husband died long before I came to the church, like 30 or 40 years ago. He died relatively young. Um, and her sister, Dorothy, is um, has never married and never had kids. But Ollie, you know, is just somebody that never missed a Sunday ever. And, you know, I know that she just can't come right now, but it's, it's just so, it feels like such a loss, you know, that she's, that she's not there. And I, I can only imagine how she feels. They live right on um, Bear Ridge, not too far from the, not too far from you in the church. What's, what's Olive's last name? Burbage, B-U-R-B-I-D-G-E. And she's the mother, Burbage, Olive Burbage. She's the mother of Jeannie Prendergast. Oh, okay. And Jeannie and Tim live right across the street from Ollie. Oh, okay. Jeannie, I know them. Yeah, they live um, there on your side of the street. And right across the street is Ollie. They, a lot of people call her Ollie, Olive. And then her sister, Dorothy. And what's Dorothy's last name? Stewart, S-T-E-W-A-R-D. And they, they've always been workhorses of the church. They would be at the fish fries from start to finish, you know, and, they're, and people, you know, would tease about it, just how active they are at such a, an old age um, that I just, I just wonder how they are. I talk to Tim and Jeannie occasionally. Tim is a big choir member, and, and Jeannie's been there since, I don't know, since birth maybe at the church, and she's probably in her 60s. Um, she looks like she's in her 20s. She's a real, I know. I know. A real young face. Um, but yeah, that 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 family is a big, you know, not neither, none of them have been, I don't think, at service right. ever. And it just feels like, oh my goodness, how can we even have service without them? You know? Know. And it's, and it's, I think that that's a great loss that Scott and I can't even identify. Because we don't know them. I mean, we know 
I mean, I've served a lot more churches than Scott has, but there are so there are those people in every church. They're yeah. often there first, and they um, um, sometimes they're the most down to earth in terms of things come, things go. Not going to get. Yeah. Didn't you say one of them has a little bit more of a tendency to speak her mind? Yes. <laughs> Dorothy. Dorothy. Yeah. She was a nurse and she's very, you know, she's very to the point. Very, um, you know, if you want to know, if you look good that day, you ask Dorothy <laughs> and she'll tell you. <laughs> so, when, and, and quite honestly, Ollie is probably her polar opposite. She is just like sugary sweet. Just, Aww. I just, I love both of them. I do. They're just really so funny, you know. Pastor Tom used to say, Dorothy, um, and I think he he got her so she would say goodbye to him. But she, you typically doesn't say goodbye on the phone when she calls you for something. As soon as she gets the answer, <laughs> she hangs she up. Got <laughs> she said it to me. <laughs> And you think, oh, my goodness, like until you really know her, like, what did I do? I offended this matriarch of the church. Wow. <laughs> oh. It's just it's wonderful yeah. to hear about them. And I look forward to hearing about them from them. I know. Um, I just know they stay. It's getting scary lately. You know, my it's, the, it's, it's just becoming so, so close. I know it. I don't know if my parents, they haven't talked about not coming to church. Um, I keep saying to them, it's the safest place around. You know, it's the safest place around. I'm, I'm, you know, really this going out to eat for my dad. I just, he loves to eat. It's probably his biggest hobby. <laughs> so, but I said, that's the most dangerous thing. You know, you got the mask off and you just, you gotta not do that. Um, and I see some of the the groups of senior citizens and some other uh, places where they're having meals together and they're not, they're not. And I don't, um, I think there's a, there's a part of it that feels like as long as you are making that decision with a real understanding of yeah. what the risks are, um, then you have, you have that freedom, not near me though. <laughs> I mean, right. it's, there's a sense of, you know, we will be, I'm sure when we get together with our kids after Christmas, that they'll be the part the group of us that will be here in Buffalo living in this house. Mm -hmm. We will probably not wear masks when we're together. Right. But then when we go to Cleveland, if Sarah and Jordan or Charlie are there, then everybody will wear masks. And right. um, and so but that's the way it's been since Charlie was born. Yeah. You know, they don't wear his parents don't wear masks around him. But anybody that comes into the house does. Yeah. Um, and now I, I know Marty visited them. Uh, this past weekend and um, I noticed that Jordan had a mask on as well in one of the pictures and I, you know, Ohio is not a safe place to be. I know. Um, it. 
And so it's possible that Jordan was wearing a mask to protect Marty. Yeah. I don't know. That's I don't true. Know. Um, and part of our conversation was, well, if you guys are willing to come to Ohio, because Ohio's, Ohio's not ever been great. You know, yeah. they, haven't, they haven't ever had a very good track record with COVID. Um, but our plan is that we will buy our food here and we'll go to our Airbnb that they have especially cleaned. Mm -hmm. And the only two places we'll be is at the house and at Jordan and Sarah's house. And that's it. Yeah. I think that's smart. It's funny that Jack is, you know, was in Ohio because Xavier did such a beautiful job. I just, I don't know how they did it. I, I, I see some of what they did. They just really required a lot um, of the kids and they did it, you know, and I'm just, I've got my fingers crossed that he goes back. Yep. Um, yes. Well, and I think about, we learned last at one of the last advisory team meetings that um, the kids in the preschool, they sanitize their hands every six minutes. Oh my gosh. Wow. They and, must have some really chapped little hands. Well, it's interesting that a lot of us are finding that we're not. Um, yeah. And, you know, little kid's skin is so much more resilient than our older skin. But right. they... Um, that some of the parents are saying that that they don't their some of their willingness to keep bringing their kids is because they feel like our practices are so safe. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think we've all realized that there is no complete right safe. Yeah. Um, but our church back to the service, I I do think what we're doing is, and I know you've said that that some officials have even come and said what we're doing is kind of top notch and yeah. first class. Yeah. So that's, uh, we just keep doing the best we can and, mm -hmm. and just keep the prayer list just keeps growing with people with COVID. And so we just, I know it. Well, we, um, and I, I think the, between you and me and I guess everybody who's listening on the live stream, but, um, with my dad, I think how I finally convinced him, part of, I, I had kind of ulterior motives. Dan is his healthcare proxy. They knew that I was too sappy and sentimental and that I would never be able to, you know, pull the plug, so to speak, ever. And this was 20 years ago when we first got married. So they have made Dan the healthcare proxy. And so the other day, Dan and I were talking and he said, you know, I really need to know your dad's thoughts because we've, he's always said no ventilator, but does he want a ventilator if he gets COVID, you know? And so that prompted us to, to talk about it and to say, you know, because we wanted him to know if you're gonna keep going to these things, there could be a really good chance that you get it. And Dan wants to know what his marching orders are, you know, and so. So what did he say? He, at first, it was funny, at first he said, well, you know, if I knew it was going to be, if they could say it was just a few days and I could get off it, I guess, maybe, maybe even just a week. But then at the end of the conversation, he said, no, no. He said, I'm, he's 80. You know, he's lived, he's lived longer than I thought he would, to be honest with you. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. Um, 
and that my kids know him and love him and and my mom. And so, you know, I think he's he's always had bad breathing, has some asthma and stuff like that. And he said, I don't, I just don't want to suffer. And I don't want them to suffer, you know, obviously. So he said no. And my mom said yes. She said, I want whatever they want to do. <laughs> so I said, okay. So and that's you know, both of those are those are both hard answers because it's um you know, with COVID, they some of the ventilator patients, people were people were willing to say, Well, I just want a trial. Like in normal healthcare things, people will say, um, I'm willing to, to do a ventilator trial, like a week. But uh -huh. if it's not going to improve my condition, then I want you to take it off. Yep. It's way harder to take it off than it is to not put it on in the first place, because then somebody has to make a decision. Right. Um, with COVID, the, um, sometimes the ventilator uh, for maybe up to two weeks, um, it requires that long. You know, once you get past that, that's a whole different story because you're not supposed to be ventilated. Then you have to be traked and, you know, that kind of stuff once you get past a certain day. Um, but the, the um, it's, I don't think there's ever an easy answer, but I think it's important. I, I can't even begin to say how many times when I was at the hospital, you know, when I saw a woman in her, I think she was 90 something and she, they coded her three times. Now a code is very violent, you know, it's chest yeah. compressions and breathing yeah. and, you know, all the, you know, the, the shocking, all that kind of stuff. And we, as the team who surrounded this woman who was being coded, we found ourselves feeling angry at the family for continuing to say, that, you know, she's in her 90s, just let her go. Yeah. And when I sat after she, she, she didn't make it through the third or the fourth one. And when I sat with her daughter and her son-in-law, they said, you could see that it had been, it had been hard. And they said, she always told us, you do everything you can. So it wasn't them. It was her and them following her wishes. Then, mm -hmm. you know, we can certainly hope that after the first code that she just didn't feel anything more that happened. Right. You know, that that yeah. um, but yeah. it was it was just so wonderful to to be with her family and to hear because you could see when I saw him doing the paid the code, she had colored hair and she oh. was you know, there was just, this was clearly a spunky person. Probably nail polish, um, right? Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So. Well, and it's, you know, I was, I was quite surprised, actually, that my mom said that as much as she did. Because um, she, you know, she suffers a lot of things and besides the MS. And she's, she's, you know, really been challenged at times with depression and other things. And I really thought she might also say, let me go, you know, or, but I think, I think she doesn't want to suffer. Mm -hmm. You know, I think if she thought it would be painless or something, you know, but I think if she, she thinks she might suffer, I think I understand oh, that. If but, she can't breathe and they don't yeah. put her on a ventilator. Yes. That's a, 
a very, very real fear. And the good news is that when you're on a ventilator, you're sedated. So you don't feel that either. Right. I think that's um, thinking. And I think that's, you know, having, having watched some of my, my grandmother and my sister both died of lung cancer between my grandmother died in July and my sister in October, both had lung cancer. My grandmother, that was the primary place. That was her, the primary cancer was in her lungs and she'd smoked for a long, long time and had quit for a long time. But anyway, and my sister, the lung cancer was secondary. Uh The lung cancer is what ended her life, but that wasn't a primary source Uh of cancer. Two different counties in Maryland, across the river from each other, and my grandmother both had home hospice. My grandmother had a very difficult death and gasped, and I felt like there was it was just me and her, and I felt like and and liquid morphine that I had to try to get down her throat. Well, she's caught. She's she's. She's having trouble breathing, so she's gasping. So then she she breathes. It was it was a terrible experience, and just kind of was like this isn't the way hospice is supposed to be. My sister was the most peaceful thing there ever was. You know, she had morphine patches instead of oral morphine. She never was and and really never really struggled to breathe. So I, I don't know whether it was the two different cancers or what it was, but right. um, it's, it's, I can step outside of the personal part of it and look at the medical, like, is it the different hospice and the different counties? Mm-hmm. Is it different cancer? But of course, in that time, you don't ask those kinds of questions. Right. Um, and they were, it wasn't even that like the patches had been developed after your grandmother passed because it was like within six months, right? Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, and that's I. You know, my mom's um, father died of emphysema, basically, mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. was on. I don't feel like they called it a ventilator. What did it was back in 1984. Um, what would they have called it a ventilator? I can't think if they. I, he was still somewhat. You know, he had oxygen, and it just it felt like he was more aware. But I think he did struggle and struggle for breath and Mm -hmm. i think she probably remembers that but i may have told you before she still smokes she has smoked since college and still wow she smoked she started smoking after college in college oh in college yeah and and she's 79 years old and she still smokes (laughs) and so i that's why i just feel like if she gets exposed both my parents are not gonna do well with it. I feel like I don't know. Um, so yeah. let's let's try their best for them not to get it. I know <laughs> that's the answer. Exactly. That's the answer. Just don't get it. Right. Um, I know. And yeah, it's know. Uh, that's we talked to uh, Scott and Sherry and I met today, and so we were talking a little bit about the feeling of the increase in cases and how. We all know somebody now um, who's directly, who's had it. Um, And fortunately, all of them have come through it and without hospitalizations. But that the the question then was asked, well, what if we do? What if one of us 
ah. gets COVID because if one of the three of us gets COVID, we're all out. We're at least all out in terms of quarantine. That doesn't mean that we couldn't possibly preach or do something, but we would, um, and it wasn't as though there was no sense as to the, that um, the church couldn't pick up and take, take things where they needed to go. I said, well, we give all things technical to Adrian and then we have Kelly and Nancy and everybody, they can all do the music and that's what they can do. They can just do music and there's, somebody, <laughs> there's surely somebody who's got a testimony to share. That's right, that's right. But, oh yeah, that's, I mean, and you guys probably, if you are seeing more people, you're probably more likely to. Yeah, I think that um, our seeing people has has been has become quite limited, um, and but we've had meetings. Yeah. Um, so like last night we had finance. Um, oh yeah. The only holiday party I'll probably have at, oh. in terms of work because we did a elephant gift exchange, one of those stealing games. Oh yeah, that's fun. Um, and um and did it all you know there was all kinds of hand sanitizing and right with spraying stuff but they you know we are with those kind of i am more than probably anybody yeah more than, more than scott and sherry right um, and with those kinds of people and they um but and you know i did a wedding on friday and i did a baptism on sunday saturday and but everybody has been following the rules. Everybody's yeah, the mask. The mask. Yeah. It makes such a difference. My yeah, my parents. Um, I think my dad's also been affected because a friend of his died, um, and he did have underlying health conditions, but he still passed of COVID. And another, a wife of his friend, is in the hospital right now, and then he heard that their little town, they're up in Porter which is Ransomville and Youngstown, um, is they have 50 cases for, you know, a tiny little town. Um, it's about the size of Pendleton, I think. So I don't know how many Pendleton has. I guess there's, you know, I, I used to be able to find it this summer when I was looking. But, yeah, I just I sort of keep saying to them, we just have to assume it's everywhere. Yeah. Just assume it's everywhere and you've got to protect yourself. from Right. And and on the other side of that, um, I ask I ask Sherry and um, Scott to share not their favorite Christmas hymn or song, but the song that or hymn that this year has felt the most oh. powerful, like has moved them. Um, and all three of us picked hymns that were the kind of longing like oh come oh come emmanuel come thou long expected jesus and in the bleak midwinter all of those are sort of like laments you know but even in the even still yeah we wait right. um and so all three of us were talking about just how how um, how newly were moved by hymns that we really hadn't necessarily been before. I don't think I ever liked 
in the bleak midwinter before right. and now i listen to it all the time yeah. and um what about you yeah you know that's a great question man because i've been struggling i need I said I would sing a song as part of the online celebration that Lori Jago is putting together. And I haven't been able to find one. Well, one thing everybody has them picked already. Oh. <laughs> All my favorites. <laughs> I really wanted to sing the first Noel. I used to, my, when my grandfather was passing, I, we knew he was passing and I lived in Washington, DC. And for about a week before I got home for Christmas, I would call him and sing that to him every single night. Just talk about on the telephone. And he waited till I got home and I I had all kinds of delays. I had to pitch fits in airports in Cleveland and Rochester to get me home. And I purposefully never called him um, while I was doing that. I was like in my mid twenties and I just knew if I called him that day that he might pass. Right. So I got there in time and it was like six hours later that he did pass away. So but did you get to sing it to him in person that I night? Did. Yeah. So that's always been special to me. Um, but yeah, I need to give some thought. The ones that you just mentioned, maybe I should sing one of those, you know, they're, I'm going to look back at the hymnal too. Cause is, like, yeah. Is Nancy going to do the breath of heaven song yeah. again? Yeah, yeah. Was, oh my gosh. I know. Just from the first chord of that song. Oh, I just love it. I had to go home, right home and get it on my phone because I yeah. didn't have it. And it was like, I need to listen to that again. But it's I, interesting. It's, you know, like you say, there's the there's the all time, long time favorites. And maybe they still are. But are, is there a new something speaking to us in the midst of something in this season is there a new yeah. um call for the light of christ through different or words or music right i'm sure i'm sure you'll find something wonderful i always like to sing i'm i'm best i think at like upbeat fast i that's just it's my personality i like singing fast and jazzy <laughs> but now it feels like because nancy recommended to me come thou long expected jesus that you know, that does seem very appropriate too. I'll have to give it some thought. Yeah, because people also enjoy, you know, we're not singing. So if you on Facebook can sing something that we all want to sing, we can yeah. sing with you. That's we right. We can sing with you on Facebook. That's right. Um, <laughs> and so one of the the upbeat Christmas songs would also be, yeah. would also be nice because we're missing them. That's we understand why we're not doing them because it's hard to not get everybody singing. You know, they're yeah. the ones that you really kind of get everybody going. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you hear me on Sunday start belting out the doxology from my place? I, yes. <laughs> and I, well, I was actually glad to hear it, but <laughs> I just, have, you know, that's why it was so funny. I forgot the words the other week because I think you said, you know, and in fact, I, I threw you under the bus because I said to Dan, well, Pastor, Pastor Kathy said, come join us in the doxology. <laughs> I stood right up and I just belted it out and he gave me the dirtiest look. <laughs> and I think there are times when we each find ourselves not singing out necessarily like that, but singing in our masks. Yeah. And yeah. Enjoying the music. So we're, we're sad this year because 
I haven't figured out a way yet to do it, but our family, um, since the kids were born, we have hosted Christmas caroling in our neighborhood and raised money for Children's Hospital because I shared with you how Jack was in the mm -hmm. neighborhood. So we, in our old neighborhood and then in this neighborhood, have we send around flyers to the neighbors and we tell them that we're going to come carol. And if they would like to make a contribution to Children's, we have a little bucket. And and then we have like a little cookie and, and uh, hot chocolate at our house. And it's been a great like community builder. Neighbors get to know neighbors and we raise money and it's, you know, it's a big tradition for us and we love it. Our old neighborhood, we always had one man that would pay us not to sing. <laughs> that would be my father, probably. He would be the one that would be like, go away. Yeah, yeah this one guy would be like, here's a 20 if you won't sing. <laughs> but um, so we really can't. I saw I read something in the paper yesterday about how caroling really is one of the worst things, even though you're outside, even though, you know, especially for the carolers. Um, and the rest of my family is not huge singers. I wish they were. They're good, but they don't like to sing like I do. Um, because the four of us living together, we could go and stand at the end of a driveway. Um, but they don't want to do that. <laughs> DJ and Sherry would usually come and help us because they're, I, they're, I call them my ringers. So would bring them in, you know, because they're mm -hmm. such good singers. And, uh, and Judy and Elmer Krupp that you may know from church. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, but we can't do it, so I don't know what we're going to do. Yeah. The the Fairport United Methodist Church, which is not, they have not ever yet come back to having worship in their church. Oh, wow. Um, and they're in Rochester. And they, um, they, they did Christmas caroling by... Uh, the best that I can figure out based on what I, the pictures that I saw was that they had like cars in the driveway, in the church parking area or something. They were like three across and down. And I don't know whether they, and they had someone with a, uh, like a speaker who was by themselves outside leading the singing and everybody was singing inside their cars. And so that was, that wasn't Christmas caroling to other people, but it was giving them the ability to sing Christmas carols. Right. And you know, our church um, would do that to shut-ins. Um, you know, something just occurred to me, maybe ask the staff, like, if people would want, I was just thinking about me singing to my grandpa when he was sick, like if shut-ins would want somebody to call them and sing to them. Right. Like, like, you know, you could literally have like people at the band or, you know, some, you know, you could, people that are actually already together or individuals. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was in Colorado, I was very, um, I won't say envious, because I didn't want to be these two peers that I had, but one of them, big, big African-American guy um, who would, when he was visiting, would sometimes sing, yeah. sing, you know, a hymn or something. And then there was a woman who just is also an incredible vocalist and leads the music at her church, in addition to being a chaplain. And 
Um, they, I always, I would bring in my phone and play Amazing Grace, you know, for people, something, but it wasn't me singing. And so I really do wonder whether, whether that might be something people would enjoy. You know, we, um, maybe it give me a reason to connect with the choir again, too, to ask, there's probably not a lot of them, but a few of them would be interested or would be willing to do it with enough encouragement. You know, if you're calling a, a little old lady that's at home, like what's wrong with singing a couple verses of Away in a Manger to her? Right. And and if you don't want to do it yourself, if you can, if you can be better at your phone than I am and you can bring two or you can bring maybe a couple of other people oh, in the call yeah. with you yeah, and can you can that. sing it. Then you can, then the three of you together can sing it to that yeah. person over the phone. We would normally as a church, and I didn't always do it, especially cause I was always exhausted from the cantata, but it was, it was either the same weekend as the cantata or maybe the next weekend on a Sunday afternoon, we would get together and go to shut-ins. So maybe we could even, have that be the time like if it wouldn't be a huge commitment if we said like this what's the sunday before christmas is it a the 20th or something or, yeah it's the 20th yeah like you know between one and five if you would like a phone call you know to guess two things to find people that be willing to do it and find people who would want the phone call and we could just and and maybe just not even worry about the video or any of that. Just pure phone calls. Right. Just phone calls. You know, that makes people more. And again, I think if we can get like if there's a husband and wife that both sing um, or people yeah. that are living together um, in some way or who or they can get somebody else on the phone and yeah. do a little group sing without yeah. actually being, you wouldn't actually have anybody being with anybody other than, yeah. And actually older people like the phone. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. I, I'm willing to um, maybe ask Gidget if they know like the list of people that they last year went to. Okay. And should I reach out to the choir and see? Yeah. Let's, um, I'll, I'm going to make a note to myself to ask Gidget. I think she would know. And Louie Bobsey was, I think, often the, the volunteer person that did a lot of it. Okay. He would arrange, like, where we would go. So he would, between them, they would know who it is that really liked it. Yeah. And probably now it could be a ton of people like Ollie Burbage and Dorothy Stewart, you know, who are, who haven't been out. There's so many more quote unquote shut-ins right. than ever before. Well, see, we're doing our own holy boldness here. Thinking, <laughs> thinking up new things. That's right. I know I'm keeping you way, way late. Speaking of which, I did email you back. You probably haven't had a chance to see it about the Cantata video. Let me just here. Why don't I just take us off live stream? Okay. I actually had a wanted to answer. Why? 
I want it. I don't know why it's not giving me an opportunity to actually stop the live streaming. All right. Well, we can talk on we can talk on live stream. If anybody's still listening, they can hear this conversation. Um, the um, yeah. So you were talking about how you responded to me about oh, that. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if you saw it. It was only like maybe um, a little bit before we got on. Okay. No, I haven't seen it. Um. So I was I was thinking that I would do mine from here. Um. And I was going to, uh, I think I have, I don't think it's at the church. As long as it's not at the church, I have my conductor's baton. And I was going to say, this year I'm trading it in for my remote control to watch it on YouTube on our TV. Um, and um, the big thing, the funny thing about the cantata too is, Pastor Tom used to always make as big a deal about the cookies afterwards as he did about the cantata. <laughs> So, um, you know, in the, and I put that in the newsletter article, just, you know, get your own cookies this time, <laughs> watch, watch it. So I was going to maybe have a little plate of cookies or whatever. And then I wanted to, I was thinking I could introduce you and kind of toss it to you. And I thought maybe if you'd be willing to do it in the sanctuary sure. yeah, um, I can do that. and just, you know, and I think I, I, in the email said a couple of things that maybe you could say, or, but you can obviously say anything you want to say, but but just, you know, things like, you know, I really, I had pictured us being here. I knew, I'd heard a lot about it. The reputation and, and yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, but, you know, I'm here with you in spirit and hopefully next year we're all going to be back or those, all that type of thing. Um, and just in super short, I think. Right. So. And then, um, and so then I'll end and then the cantata will begin. Yep. And I think it would be great. Um if possible, um, to do it when it's dark. Um, hopefully that's, I mean, the good news is that's not late in the work day right now. It's probably 4.30. It's very doable. That's, yeah. that's fine. If Adrian's yeah. willing, because that's what it, the cantata always felt like that with all the lights on and. Felt all Christmas the, Eve like. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. You're welcome. And I hope that the rest of your evening and your night goes well. I hope you sleep well. You too. Thanks for letting me talk so much. Oh, you're welcome. It's been great. And <laughs> it I guess is. the only way to turn off the live stream is to shut this down. Okay, let's shut All it right. down. Good night. <laughs>